Good day, stoners, and welcome to a very special episode of the Turning Stones podcast. On today's episode, it's just going to be me, Terry, by himself in, as I said, a special episode being a monologue. Unfortunately, Sam can't be with us today, and he's going to actually take a bit of a break from Turning Stones, so we're definitely going to miss him. Uh, Turning Stones is definitely nothing without the two of us. But uh, he'll be back in no time. So for those of you out there that um, want to say hello, he will still be active. So maybe send us a DM on Instagram and or Twitter. Our handle is at TurnstonesPod. So uh, we'd love to uh, hear your thoughts. But um, he'll still be tuning in. He's just got some things in the background. Nothing serious. Just uh, he's got some other priorities that he needs to take care of. And he'll be back in no time, as I just said. So, special episode, not only is it going to be a monologue from myself, Terry, but what a crazy 72 hours we've had this week, and this is the week beginning, well, the 19th of April, 2021, Um, a crazy 72 hours, and that is in the world of football, or as some people refer to it as soccer in Australia, but what a crazy week. We've had the rise and potentially the fall of a European Super League. We've also had one of the great managers of all time, Jose Mourinho, sacking, which just came in the midst of it all. So a lot to digest. Um, Plenty of meat on this bone, as uh, myself and Sam would love to say. So let's get stuck into it, guys. And uh, we'll start from the top and make our way all the way through. And it's going to be a really juicy episode. I can't wait. Let's start from the top. I guess, what was the uproar over the European Super League? And I guess you'd have to be living under a rock if you didn't know anything about this or even heard of it because it's pretty much dominated the news headlines this week, especially in a country where our main sport is AFL. So I guess, what happened? Well, 12 heavyweights from England, Spain and Italy all agreed to establish a new competition and they called that the Super League. And it was actually going to be governed by the founding clubs. This actual league, I guess, from these heavyweights was going to be be replacing Europe's current top club competition, which is the UEFA Champions League. And that's run by UEFA. However, this particular Super League was going to be run by the clubs actually involved. So they could dictate the terms and that sort of stuff. Um, The teams involved... Uh, well, the teams that were involved, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Tottenham. They were the English clubs, so six of them. And we had Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Real Madrid. They were the Spanish teams, and three of those. And we also had three Italian sides being AC Milan, Inter Milan, and Juventus. So all 12 teams actually shared 99 European titles between them. Um, of course, Arsenal and Tottenham don't have a Champions League, but all the other... Th- I guess 12, 10 clubs do. Um, so three, as part of this Super League, three more teams were actually expected to join and they were going to be called the founding clubs. So there were going to be 15 founding clubs and they had guaranteed participation each year. And then they also wanted this Super League competition to have a 20-team competition. So basically there were going to be 15 founding clubs always automatically participate every year, guaranteed participation. Then they were going to have five other clubs 
to make it a 20-team competition, but those five other clubs would actually have to qualify for it. Um, and I guess the way that the qualification was going to take place, we might run through a little bit later, but it wasn't as simple um, and definitely clear as mud. So they were actually going to have these games run midweek, basically really replacing the Champions League and uh, still leaving them having the ability to play the weekend domestic fixtures. So each of those founding clubs would, and all actual 20 competing clubs would still be able to uh, compete in their respective leagues. So what is the format or what was going to be the format? And I'm saying this in past tense because as we're speaking right now, it seems as if the Super League may not be happening, but let's just uh, assume for the purposes of this particular podcast that it is. Um, so the inaugural edition of the Super League was going to be taking place as soon as practicable. So that's what the announcement said, um, with an August start date potentially. Um, and now having, obviously with 20 teams, they're going to have two groups of 10 playing home and away. And the top three of each of the groups were going to be qualifying for the quarterfinals. The fourth and fifth place teams of each of those groups would play off uh, for the remaining quarterfinal spots. The quarterfinals and semifinals will be played over two legs and the final will be played in a single game at a neutral venue. So I guess in the knockout rounds from the quarterfinals and to the final, it was going to be similar sort of approach to what UEFA Champions League has currently. But uh, in order for you to get to those uh, knockout rounds or the quarterfinals and beyond, uh, the format was a little bit different with two groups of 10 and you'd play everyone in that group. So that would be, I guess, um, you know, 10 home and away games. And then uh, obviously the top three qualifying and then fourth plays fifth um, to get that last spot for that particular group. And then the other would be the exact same. And then you have eight teams and then quarterfinals and beyond. Um, they also said that there was there were plans for a women's version as well. I guess that was a little sweetener to the deal potentially when they were releasing this to the public. So um, I guess the next question would be, what's behind all of this? Now, we can give you some, some reasons, which I will be, but I think behind it all, it comes down to one word, and that is money. Money was behind this 100%. Don't let anyone else fool you guys. Seriously, it's all about the money. So these Europe, I guess these European top clubs have, uh, I guess, been pissed off for a long time um, with, the, I guess, the sharing revenues or even potentially the lack of revenue that they do receive for competing in such European competitions. Um, but this Super League was going to be guaranteeing not only qualification, but an annual competition against those, you know, against their fellow uh, clubs or those high powers in, in Europe. And uh, it would then obviously just give them a bit more certainty um, in regards to not only revenue, but also having that comfortability that they would have, you know, uh, regular sponsorships. Uh, they'd know what the fixtures are going to be from year to year, especially with the 15 teams being guaranteed or the 15 founding clubs. Um, and also they would receive, they were going to receive $3.5 billion for infrastructure as part of investment uh, to um, offset their losses from the pandemic. So they're sort of throwing in COVID-19 here as a bit of an excuse as to why they're trying to do this as well. Um, 
So this $3.5 billion infrastructure investment, this is actually greater than the $3.2 billion in TV earnings that they get uh, pre-pandemic, well, that actually received pre-pandemic from the UEFA competition. So it's an extra $300 million. So it's nothing to sneeze about. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's providing some stability in the fact that, and it's a pretty, I would think being, having an accounting background, it's actually a pretty good formula. Um, and it's a pretty good model as well that they've guaranteed qualification. It's guaranteed revenue. Uh, it's really good commercial opportunities because you've got the best of the best being, you know, the top clubs in Europe being the founding clubs and they're always going to be, I guess, playing off against each other. And then you could also even get pretty creative as well. I mean, say you've got, you know, Ju Juventus versus Barcelona and that's going to happen, you know, every couple of years or even every season, depending on how the draws go and how the, how the groups are set. Um, you could actually even sell the rights to those games. So instead of having Barcelona's home game against Juventus at the new camp, even though it fits 100,000 people, they could sell it to, say, Australia and you could have it at the MCG and that would sell out and you could you could charge a massive premium for tickets like that. I mean, you could charge, people would pay 400 bucks to see for, and, and, Seeing not only just a friendly, it's not a friendly, it's a Super League game. So imagine seeing a game for points at the MCG between, say, Juventus and Barcelona. Cristiano Ronaldo versus Lionel Messi at the MCG in front of 100,000 people. And this is obviously in a post-pandemic um, world where we would be able to have 100% capacity. But just imagine that. And, you know, people paying $400 a ticket to go and see that, you know, the superstars, not just those two, but there's a there's an abundance of superstars for, with teams like that. And in this whole Super League, there were going to be an abundance of superstars. And, and that just even goes to the players as well. Like, imagine, you know, players at Leicester or players at, say, Napoli or, you know, players at German clubs. Yeah, it, it's all well and good to be where they are. They Maybe they're on a pretty good wicket in terms of pay packet, but... They'd love to be involved too. And, you know, if the Super League, the European Super League is getting all the glitz and glamour um, and, you know, no one really cares about if the Champions League doesn't even exist, um, you know, in, in a Super League world. Well, no one really cares about the Champions League. I want to go for the best competition in the world. Everyone wants to play in the best of the best. That's why you see a lot of teams, you know, missing out on Champions League. Um, and a lot of players leave saying, no, I just want to play Champions League football because that is the best league in the world. And, you know, what those players are wanting to join the Super League. So that's just going to diminish um, the competitiveness of other clubs and potentially other leagues. So, yeah, it has massive ramifications. Um, and then also just the money as well. Like a lot of sponsors might be pulling out of the existing leagues, like the La Liga, the Serie A, the Premier League, and then just putting all their pennies into the Super League. Um, so, you know, the, the rich get richer, basically. Um, and everyone wants to join a winning team, don't they? Uh, so yeah, I mean, plenty of ramifications, but you could just see that it was a pretty solid financial model. Um, obviously they didn't think things through well enough to, uh, I guess, know what, uh, the reaction was going to be and, and what was the reaction? Well, I mean, this is probably what made the massive headlines was the reaction. Um, and we could even call it a condemnation and it was, it was widespread and it was swift as soon as it was announced, um, everything started turning to shit. It, everyone turned sour. Everyone was against it. Even the high-profile ex-players, pundits, commentators, they were all against it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess the reaction has sort of caused the Super League to start to diminish or potentially even dissolve only 70, 72 hours into it. So, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of people um, talk about it. We've had, you know, I think uh, straight away, um, Gary Neville was probably the biggest one, uh, former Manchester United defender. Um, he's actually now a TV pundit for Sky Sports. He even labelled it, dis- he was disgusted, um, called the Super League an absolute disgrace. Uh, then we had Southampton manager, Ralph Halsenhutl, um, who described the plan as absolutely unacceptable. Um, then we also even had British Prime Minister Boris Johnson saying that the plans were very damaging for football and that would strike at the heart of the domestic game. French President Emmanuel Macron uh, praised the French clubs for not taking part. So um, I guess right now, no French club has taken part. Whether that's going to be the case or not in the next few days, we don't know, but it seems as if they're not going to. And it seems as if the Super League is not going to be taking place. Um, So yeah, the the reaction was uh, quite widespread. Um, even former Liverpool legend Graham Souness uh, disagreed, um, and he's saying that you know basically the club should be punished, um, and obviously you know fina- punishing them financially probably isn't the right thing to do because obviously they're wealthy enough to pay fines, and and fines isn't really the best punishment you can give to these big you know massive super clubs. Um, but what can you do, I suppose? Well, how can you punish these sort of clubs? Can you deduct points? Can you strip titles? Can you ban them in transfer windows? And we've seen this before with the transfer window bans, with the financial fair play and that sort of stuff that's gone on. But clubs always find a workaround. I would say point deductions would probably be the best. But if the Super League does continue to take place, right? and I'm going to get to it if it actually will happen in a minute, if it was to take place, then who? why would the clubs even care about point deductions when really the main focus would be the Super League? So if you just bear with me one moment, I'm just going to have a little sip of water. Plenty to digest here. Some good water there. So yeah, I mean, how do you punish these clubs? Um, it's, a, it's a really good question, uh, and it's one that's pretty difficult to answer as well. So I guess... Um, Will it actually happen? This is probably the biggest one. Um, And I mean, really, who knows? Uh, At this stage, six English clubs have actually pulled out. And that's only been uh, just after 48 hours after the announcement. So I guess right now the project is hanging by a thread. The league said it would um, focus its efforts to reshape the project. So I guess with the clubs that still remain, so if you got rid of the six English clubs, we still now only have six clubs and they were looking for a 20-club league. So they are really up behind the eight ball. And actually, just news, breaking news coming in now, Atletico Madrid and Inter Milan also pull out from the European Super League. And that's just courtesy of Sky Sports News. we? Okay, that's just live. So you got an exclusive right there. So it's confirmed now that eight clubs have pulled out of the current 12-club setup. So right now, only four clubs are still involved, and that would be Juventus, AC Milan, Barcelona, and Real Madrid are the only four clubs currently within this Super League project. So that means they need to look for another 16 clubs, but it doesn't look likely whatsoever. 
So, yeah, um, I mean, despite the announcement of these departed clubs, um, there's going to be a fair bit of pressure on those four remaining clubs to, I guess, get the project back on track and potentially get it happening by August. And I guess given the current circumstances, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen at all. And you'd have to say that the fan reactions have, you know, pretty much, um, I guess, swayed the clubs to, to outthink this travesty of a competition. Um, you know, they're trying to sell it to us. I mean, here we go, Real Madrid president Florentino Perez. Um, he was actually one of the masterminds behind the Super League. He was even saying that um, the vision was the Super League because, I guess, it was a new venture um, that would hone in on the crucial 16 to 24-year-old market. So he's saying that the youth of the world today um, need something fresh, need something new, need something exciting, and this Super League was going to offer that. Um, he also says that football needs to evolve like life does. Soccer needs to adapt, or football should I say, to the times that we live in. Um, and this is actually before the English clubs pulled out. Um, and then also it was stated that football was losing interest Something must be done, and the pandemic has hastened that. We are all ruined. So they're saying that football is becoming boring, and the pandemic has, I guess, put a lot of clubs in financial difficulty. difficulty. But um, I guess that is true, the latter. Um, there is a lot of clubs struggling financially and economically, but uh, obviously with no fans as well. Um, but I guess the flip side of that, the TV stations would be making an absolute killing because their ratings would be skyrocketed because if you can't go to the games, guess how else are you going to watch it? You're either listening to it on a radio or you're watching it on a TV. And I think people are doing the latter. Um, the, the radio listeners are only purely on convenience if you're on the road or if you're busy or your your hands are, or you're actually working, you maybe just want to still catch the game. But majority um, of people that do want to watch sport, live sport, are going to be watching on TV. So you'd think that the TV ratings would be higher than ever. And uh, the TV stations hopefully then be passing on the profits to the clubs. And I think that's one of the biggest revenues actually as well. Um, but I guess behind the scenes as well, are the sponsors paying in full? Because obviously the sponsors have run their own businesses. And uh, if they're struggling, well, um, they probably can't pay in full. So that's a whole other thing to dissect as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's massive. Um, so I guess, yeah, instead of playing Champions League as it is, um, they're even saying that that's losing interest, which uh, as an avid lover of football, Champions League, Premier League, and all the other um, top leagues in Europe, I, I do have to admit the Champions League is losing a bit of its cachet, whether to start the Super League or to start a Super League, um, that's probably not the solution. UEFA have actually just come out and, and done their own reforms on the Champions League and introduced a third tier being the UEFA Europa Conference. Um, oh, really, like, I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, a third tier of European football. I mean, are you basically spoon-feeding so every club gets an exposure to European football? The beauty about European football was it being exclusive that only the best of the best can qualify for it um, and and more often than not it was the champions of all the leagues in Europe could qualify for it and then obviously those runners up and those that are thereabouts or those of stronger leagues would have more clubs qualifying for it so you'd have 
the best of the best in the league. Then they created, well, a UEFA Cup, which then turned into the Europa League. And now third tier. This is ridiculous. What, do we want teams like, you know, Wolverhampton Wanderers and Aston Villa making, you know, Europe as well? just to give them an exposure and say, hey, yeah, you're in Europe too. Here you go. Here's a little taste of it. It's just going to water down and diminish the, I guess, prestige of playing Europe, uh, European football. And and this Super League as well. My, my pet peeve in regards to that was, you know, yes, all the best clubs are going to be playing against each other, but it's just like your favorite food. If you love pizza, I guess, why do you love pizza? It's delicious, nice, you know, cheesy mozzarella, um, a good crunchy wood oven base, some salami, olives, anchovies, mushrooms, whatever you want on your pizza, whatever you like on your pizza, no pineapple, uh, courtesy of Rocco. Um, it's delicious. But if you have your favorite food and say it is pizza every single day, you're going to get sick and tired of it, aren't you? Then after you're going to be like, oh, I actually don't want pizza anymore. It's the same thing with watching, I don't know, um, say Manchester United versus Real Madrid. Great fixture. Imagine seeing that in the Champions League. Imagine a semi-final, two-legged tie, the winner on aggregate goes through to the final. Both teams at their peak. That'd be great to see. They've even fought for um, against each other years ago where we had the Brazilian Ronaldo, where we had you know, the likes of Van Nistelrooy, all playing against each other. Great fixture that was. Attacking football, even Zidane for Real Madrid. But you have that every year, you're going to get sick and tired of it. Oh, Manchester United are going to go to the, you know, Santiago Bernabeu again. You know, it just it just ruins it. There's no prestige. There's no, oh, who are we going to draw this time? I mean, yeah, you might get a few of those random fixtures um, come the knockout stages, but more often than not, and, you know, uh, more likely than not, you're going to be playing the same clubs every year or so, depending on how the draws are going to be ma- matched up. But, you know, 15 clubs are always guaranteed a spot, so you just know that you're going to play each other eventually. Um, but, yeah, and, and also there's no incentive for those clubs to even perform outside of their Super League. They might even just take the piss it in the Premier League if, if they were still eligible to play, which, you know, that's a whole other matter in itself. Um so, yeah, I mean, yeah, like they could be resting and playing their youth in the Premier League, not giving a shit, coming, you know, 17th, 18th. They could even get relegated in the Premier League, make the championship, but guess what? They're still in the Super League. What a, what a crock of shit that would be. They could even, like, Arsenal could just play all their youth, um, like what Arsene Wenger used to do in their League Cup. Didn't really care about that, that competition. Played all the youth, get knocked out in the first couple of rounds, so didn't care. Could be the same approach now in the Premier League. We'll play all the youth in the Premier League, even the FA Cup, but we're just going to focus on the Super League. Play the first team in the Super League. Get relegated in the Premier League or in the Championship the next season, but still in the Super League, aren't you? Bow out the first round of the FA Cup to like even a third league team. Who cares? We're still in the Super League. Yeah, it's just not great for football. And yeah, it might be great financially for the Super League clubs, but for the fans, like... You're gonna you're gonna not be having that same feel, the same rivalries, the same histories and traditions. What about for all those bits of silverware that you won, all the blood, sweat, and tears for all the former past legends and players, all those Premier Leagues and FA Cups and, that they won? 
even the Champions Leagues on those, you know, historic European nights. How about Istanbul in 2005 for those Liverpool fans? The Champions League means stuff all, doesn't it? When you've got a Super League, it's like, oh, yeah, we won six Champions Leagues, but uh, it's all about the Super League now. How many have we won of those? It's just going to diminish it. But why diminish something that's really good? All it needs is a couple of tweaks. It doesn't need to be rejigged or a whole new league to supersede it or replace it. I think clubs just need to calm down. And I think the leagues and the federations, FIFA, UEFA, and all the domestic leagues and their associations, they need to flex their muscles as much as they can. So the immediate aftermath, obviously, as I mentioned, Gary Neville demanded heavy action and he he was losing his shit. He was saying it was disgraceful and rightly so. He's calling for heavy sanctions, massive fines, points deductions. He even even saying to take the titles off them. He goes, who cares? Give the title to Burnley or Fulham. Let Fulham even stay up this season, he says, because they're currently in the relegation zone. He's even calling for, you know, to relegate United, Manchester United, Liverpool and Arsenal because they're the three clubs with the most history of this country and they should be the ones that suffer most. Some say to deduct all the points tomorrow, put them at the bottom of the league and take the money off them. Give them no TV right money, take all the points away and let them suffer the hard way. Even if this Super League doesn't go ahead, which obviously the English clubs have pulled out, but there's still going to be sanctions for causing such an absolute ruckus. So, an el- well, initially it was going to be a lucrative midweek competition with all the elite clubs. And now it's dissolving before our very eyes with four remaining. By the time you probably listen to this, it might be long gone. We shall see. Who's to say that those clubs that have told you know the world and told the fans and told the press that they're not going to take part, being you know the French clubs, for example, and even the German clubs who've got their own unique ownership structure, where the fans own 51% of those clubs and then the 49% can be privately owned through shareholderships and that sort of stuff. Who's to say they don't take a turn for the worse and then go against everyone else? And they're the last, I guess, Um, foundation members of this Super League. So there's still a little bit to play out, but I just thought this podcast would be perfect. It's a few days outside the announcement. It's also just, you know, fresh off, you know, all the latest updates and I guess um, those clubs pulling out, especially the six English clubs are now breaking news with Atletico Madrid and Inter Milan pulling out. Um, It's a really good opportunity just to let you stoners know exactly what's going on, what the... uh, what the issues are and uh, what's going to happen. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And uh, as I said, it's a it's purely business sense. They didn't give a shit about the fans because um, I mean, as I said, it's got a good financial model, uh, and it's similar to its America to an American sporting model where sporting teams compete every year without having to qualify or face relegation. So you got like the NFL, the NBA. There's no um, qualification or relegation. There's just basically conferences and they just play the same old teams every year. Um, for, so from a commercial perspective, it gives certainty to investors and sponsors that yes, these are gonna, they're going to be these many games this year. We're going to play these teams at these venues and potentially be able to sell 
um, games to other countries that are bidding for it. So it'd just be an absolute commercial um, fairyland, really. Um, you could just lick your lips at the amount of people that would love to just um, have a piece of this pie and uh, all the attention that you'd get from it. And even right now, all the attention it's getting. Unfortunately, it's just getting negative attention. Um, and it's no coincidence that it's a, a similar to an American-type sporting model because most of the uh, English clubs that were involved are American-owned. Um, so definitely no surprise there. Um, obviously, we've got you know Stan Kroenke, who's the American billionaire and owner of Arsenal. Uh, we've also got... you know. Um, other owners that I guess I think the American owners uh, for Manchester United um, and they also own uh, and then I think Liverpool's owners as well um, they are owned by Americans so yeah I think Liverpool's owners is Fenway Sports Group um, the owner is John Henry um, yeah, and then you got the Glazer family as well uh, and, that, and that is the Manchester United owners so and they all, they're all like pretty uh, high up, not only in the commercial world or the financial world, but in the sporting world too. Um, I know Kroenke owns the LA Rams. And then we've got obviously uh, Major League Baseball um, with the Boston Red Sox owned by a sp American Sports Management Group. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of ownership there and, and they're actually coinciding with American teams and, and uh, American sports. So, yeah, I mean, plenty to digest there in these last 72 hours. Um, what the punishments what punishments could the clubs face? Um, it's a lot of speculation saying that it could be points deductions. Um, so I guess it's up to each of the leagues. The Premier League did actually meet with um, all the 14 clubs that weren't participating in the Super League. Um, and obviously they all uh, unanimously rejected the plans for the competition. So they obviously put the foot put their foot forward and said, no, we don't support the Super League. Um, and even actually Everton owner, Farhad uh, Mashiri actually was in favor of docking points for all the clubs that were involved, even though that they've pulled out now just to cause such a fiasco and to uh, diminish the Premier League and to sort of send the sport and a little bit into disrepute, saying that, yeah, they should uh, dis be disciplined by deducting points because, as I said at the top of this podcast, by financially sanctioning them, that's not going to mean nothing at all. So, yeah, plenty to play out. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just interested to see what these four remaining foundation clubs, what's going to happen with them. Um, will they pull out and will they say, no, bad idea, let's just uh, return back to normal? Well, they can return back to normal, but uh, there's just going to be, yeah, a lot of outcry. And... The biggest outcry out of all of it, and it can't be ignored, is the fans, the reactions, the rights, the protests. And you know what? Rightly so. These fans pay a lot of money to see their clubs. They haven't seen their clubs for over a year. Um, and now for you or for the clubs to go um, behind their backs and, you know, break away from you know the traditions the histories of their leagues to to create this super league which just feels cold-hearted just feels commercial um just doesn't have that same aura to it um yeah it just didn't sit well with loyal fans um 
And I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of fans never forgive their club for even doing this. Um, even now that, you know, a lot of the clubs have come out and said that, you know, they've apologised and um, I might even uh, bring up an Arsenal, because uh, I'm an Arsenal supporter, um, might even bring out the st- and read out the statement. Um, they've actually just sent an open letter out to their fans. And it says here, the last few days have shown us yet again the depth of feeling our supporters around the world would have for this great club and the game we love. We needed no reminding of this, but the response from the supporters in recent days has given us time for further reflection and deep thought. It was never our intention to cause such distress. However, when the invitation to join the Super League came, while knowing there were no guarantees, we did not want to be left behind to ensure we protected Arsenal and its future. So it was one of those uh, fear of missing out. So I think Arsenal, as well as the other clubs that may have joined, just had a bit of FOMO in regards to this Super League idea. And I reckon it started from Perez, um, the Real Madrid president, Florentino Perez. A lot of it, a lot of the um, journalists are saying that it was actually the, he was at the heart of the Super League plans. Um, and yeah, maybe Arsenal was just one of those that uh, jumped on the wagon. So also the statement continues to say from Arsenal, as a result of listening to you and the wider football community um, over the recent days, we are withdrawing from the proposed Super League. We made a mistake and we apologize for it. We know it will take time to restore your faith in what we are trying to achieve here at Arsenal, but let us be clear that the decision to be part of the Super League was driven by our desire to protect Arsenal, the club you love, and to support the game you love through greater solidarity and financial stability. So once again, as I said at the top of this podcast, what was the main reason for this? Well, you can just answer the word. You can answer that question with one word, money. 100% money. So they do apologize. They said they've made a mistake and they apologize for it. Um, and now it was all about greater solidarity and financial stability. They're even saying that stability is essential for the game to prosper and we will continue to strive to bring the security the game needs to move forward. I'll tell you what, since money's entered the game, since privatization and ownership uh, has entered the game, it's, it's starting to destroy the fabric of what we grew up to love. Um, and we can target the early ownership of, say, Chelsea with Roman Abramovich and the club that he made, uh, what Manchester City has turned into. Yes, it's all well and good to win titles, but then when you're sacking managers every year and a half um, because you can afford to pay out, pay them out of their contracts, um, when you're bringing in players willy-nilly and, and the shelf life of you know those that come through the academy or those that are you know bleed the club. Um, you know, support of the club and then they go through the the youth academy but then they sort of get replaced by, you know, by signing, say, Messi. Well, he's always going to play in front of you but you have you love the club. You, you know, die for the club. You wear the, the club's crest on your sleeve and yet, you know, you, these rich, wealthy clubs just bring in whoever they want just for that competitiveness. So, yeah, um, it seems as if Arsenal just doesn't want to be left behind from this statement. Um, it says here that... Uh, the system needs to be fixed. We must work together to find solutions which protect the future of the game and harness the extraordinary power football has to get us on the edge of our seats. Finally, we know this has been hugely unsettling and at the end of what has been an incredible, incredibly difficult year for all of us, and it's, it's even extended beyond the year, this pandemic, 
so yeah, it has been an in, well, a really tough year, um, and they're just making it a little bit tougher, aren't they? They're saying here at the end to finish up. Our aim is always to make the right decision for this great football club, to protect it for the future, and to take us forward. We didn't make the right decision here, which we fully accept. We have heard you. Sincerely, the Arsenal board. So they've owned up to it, which is uh, a good thing. They've acknowledged that they've made a mistake. And I guess it's better later than never to rectify that mistake and acknowledge it, acknowledge the fans, and once again, apologize. Because one board not only can run a club and make the decisions for a club, but it affects millions upon millions of people who obviously see sport, see their sporting club, not only as a pastime, but to some, it's even a religion. It's even part of their lives. Um, you know, you wake up in the morning, you have your brekkie, you, you put your work clothes on, you brush your teeth, part of routine. Imagine someone saying to you, you just can't have breakfast anymore. For the rest of your life, you just can't have breakfast anymore. Or say your breakfast was a nice bowl of porridge, some nice, you know, warm, hearty oats. Your favorite breakfast, you love it. You eat it every day. It's nutritious. It's good for you. Someone just says, no. And, and you have your oats with milk, for example. Someone says, you can never, ever have oats with milk ever again. You can have oats in the morning. You can have breakfast still. But you have to have it with water. Or you can, you know, use other liquids. Maybe use oranges, which would be disgusting. But you just can't have your oats with milk. It's basically exactly what the Super League was doing. Yes, we can have Arsenal. But it's not competing in the Premier League. It's not competing in the Champions League anymore. Like where we've had some really historic nights um, in the Champions League. You know, I can recall that um, our Chauvin winner 2-1 at the Emirates against Barcelona. Great game. You're just going to miss out on all those nights. Or, you know, the uh, Invincibles of 2003-2004 season. 49 games unbeaten. You're just going to throw all that away. So you can still have Arsenal. You can still have Porridge. But no Arsenal in the Champions League, in the Premier League. And no porridge, no oats with milk. So, yeah, weird analogy. Just comes at the top of my head. But it, it's, they go hand in hand. So, let's just see what happens. Could be, uh, I mean, if there is another twist and turn to this, I, uh, I'll definitely do a follow-up podcast. But, um, yeah, stay tuned. Keep your ears peeled. So, the Super League. No more, or is this just the beginning of the end? We shall see. And now moving on to Jose Mourinho's sacking. Well, the special one. I guess he's not really that special anymore. Another sacking. Hmm. Well, his career started off in Porto, or should I say Porto? Um... And he, ever since winning the Champions League um, with them, he was raining trophies everywhere he went. Won Premier Leagues at Chelsea, won the treble at Inter, um, won a league with Real Madrid, um, even the Europa League and a League Cup with Manchester United. But just not special anymore, how things have changed. What is and definitely was a great manager. You'd love to hate him because every team you came up against that he was in charge of was always competitive, 
and you knew what you were going to get. 17 months ago, he was actually, uh, I guess, signed by Tottenham. Um, and the sole purpose of signing him and getting rid of Pochettino, who was the previous Tottenham manager, was to win trophies. And that was something that he is very, very good at. Um, doesn't have the best win record, but does have a good trophy record. And trophies is something that Tottenham lack. And they actually haven't won a piece of silverware since the League Cup in 2008. And prior to that, it was a long, long time ago. And the League Cup is probably is the fourth best trophy in England. So it's not really that prestigious. So really, it's been a long time uh, without um, silverware for Tottenham. But funnily enough, he was, he was sacked. And this was just a few days before the actual League Cup final they've got coming up against Manchester City at Wembley. So just before Mourinho had the opportunity to even um, get some silverware for Tottenham, they got rid of him. So interesting timing and in the midst of this Super League outbreak as well. And even interestingly enough, Spurs were originally a foundation member of the Super League, so Mourinho could have been a Super League manager. But, um, yeah, I mean, looking at his season, in hindsight, his sacking comes at little, well, I guess, as little surprise. Um, there's been a drastic slide in results in recent months. Actually, the first 12 league games of the season, um, they only had lost just one game, and they even beat Manchester United at 6-1. So they were sitting at the top of the Premier League at that one point, um, they were in dreamland. Uh, now, currently, the club lies in seventh, uh, five points behind West Ham, and obviously they're in a, the last Champions League spot, which is fourth place. But that wouldn't have meant anything if uh, the Super League would have gone ahead, or if Tottenham were still in it. So, interestingly, with that, um, then also to further ammunition to get rid of Mourinho, there was um, the Europa League exit in the round of sixteen where they actually gave up a two-goal lead. Um, and that was a ridiculous um, display by Tottenham away um, to be knocked out in the round of 16. That's clearly not good enough. Um, and yeah, once again, the priority when Pochettino was replaced by Mourinho was to win at all costs and to win trophies. Spurs chairman Daniel Levy um, is pretty ruthless now in his approach, and he's just not taking no shit. Um, he doesn't care who they are, um, the reputation that they've had. If you're not winning and you're not winning trophies, we're moving you on and we're getting rid of you. And of course, Daniel Levy um, has a price to pay to get rid of Mourinho. Um, but at the same time, uh, he's got the money to do so. And if he wants to splash the cash, well, he can do that. Um and, you know, some people have said that there's, uh, in recent times, you know, Mourinho has a history of bitter dressing room, um, shenanigans, uh, obviously, you know, having a few feuds between players. Um, we have memorable feuds with uh, um, Pepe and the goalkeeper Casillas at Real Madrid. Then there was Juan Mata and uh, Eden Hazard at Chelsea. Um, so, yeah, like, he's, he's always been, I guess... Um, known to potentially uh, create bitter dressing rooms or awkward dressing rooms. Um, then we also had the issues of Martial, Mkhitaryan, Lukaku um, having issues there at Manchester United. Uh, but then also on the flip side as well, he's got the best out of players. Um, you look at Harry Kane. 
Harry Kane is probably in the best goal-scoring form of his career. He's absolutely killing it uh, at the moment. Um, and he, he did so under the, I guess, management of Jose Mourinho. So, yeah, Mourinho definitely could get the best out of his players. And we even look at Didier Drogba um, at Chelsea, who was prolific. Um, so, I guess there is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and sometimes a ruthless attitude is what a club needs. But how long that lasts for... Um, remains to be seen. And sometimes it's a good change of the guard when you come in with that ruthless attitude. You shake things up. Uh, you take no shit. And then you will start to get um, results instantly. However, you know, you keep using that approach in years two, three, and four. And, you know, if success, after success has happened and you've won some trophies, then people will be like, oh, why do we need to still abide by these rules? You know, we, we've learned from our mistakes. We've adopted your approach. And now why are you still being a prick? And uh, as you can tell with Mourinho's, uh, most of his jobs, he's actually been sacked because it seems as if, yeah, those bitter dressing rooms have got the better of him and then people are just uh, fed up of his rubbish or maybe he's run out of material. Maybe he's only like a three-year manager um, or, or sometimes even less than 17 months with Tottenham. Uh, maybe the first season's all about transition, second year's all about winning, and the third year it's his demise. Uh, you've seen that at a lot of places. Um so yeah, it's one of those things. Interestingly enough, uh, yeah, Spurs now have appointed basically a 29-year-old former player, uh, Mason, um, Ryan Mason, should I say. Uh, he's been their interim head coach for the rest of the season, so we'll see how that goes. And they've also got a, a EFL League Cup final against Manchester City coming up as well. So I'm pretty sure Mourinho would be hoping the worst for Tottenham, uh, given that they just sacked him. But uh he will definitely be loving, um, I guess, you know, the uh, payment that he'll be getting from Tottenham, who have to pay out his contract. And uh, even though he's jobless again, Mourinho's actually pocketed 140 million Australian dollars from all his sackings um, over his career. So we'll look at the sackings, uh, where he's been sacked twice from Chelsea in 2007 and 2015. And both were on hefty contracts because he'd won. He'd had success at both clubs, and obviously, when you have success, there's um, you, know, you you resign or you, you extend your deal or you improve your deal. Sacked from Real Madrid, and of course, they pay big money for their uh, managers. And Manchester United uh, sacked him as well. Obviously, he resigned from Inter Milan and Porto, but uh, all those other clubs um, sacked him, and they gave him a massive payout. Uh, so yeah, he's pocketed over 140 million dollars just from being sacked. Not a bad gig at all. So, yeah, it's uh, fairly interesting. And, um, yeah, I mean, Yosei, if you're listening, uh, yeah, we do respect what you've done. And, and um, potentially there still is uh, opportunity for you out there in the world of football. Um, if you do want to sponsor the podcast, uh, give us a DM on Instagram or Twitter. We'd uh, or even love to have you as a, as a guest. But, um, yeah, all the best in his uh, future endeavors there, Yosei Mourinho. And that wraps up today's podcast. What a crazy 72 hours of football it has been in the world. The rise and fall of the Super League, the sacking of Jose Mourinho. All of this definitely deserved the podcast and I hope you enjoyed. Um, and uh, we'll see how this all plays out in the next few days. We'll see what the punishments are like to all the clubs that have 
uh, not only um, became the foundation members of the proposed Super League, but then also pulled out, see what the ramifications are, and we'll see what the feedback and even the viewership's like um, for the rest of and the remainder of all the seasons, not only domestically in their leagues, but also um, the Champions League, because three of the four clubs remaining in the Champions League were original foundation members of the Super League. And then we also have clubs in the Europa League, um, being Arsenal, Manchester United, who were also foundation, or were going to be foundation members of this Super League. So we'll see what the ramifications are. The sanctions given down by FIFA and UEFA, um, and there's always there's been like speculation that uh, you know if the Super League did go ahead, that the players wouldn't be able to compete in any FIFA or UEFA governed uh, competitions, which would mean the Euros, the Champions Leagues, um, the World Cups, uh, which would just be an absolute disaster to not see you know Ronaldo's, Messi's, um, and all these uh, you know greatest players not participating in the best tournaments in the world. So we'll see how it all unfolds. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Remember. Um, Get your Turning Stones mug. They are a quality mug. Great for a cup of coffee in the morning um, or even a tea if that's what floats your boat. Um, tried and tested by Sam and myself. We tried and tested them for five weeks before we released them to the public. Give us a DM on Instagram or Twitter. Our handle is at TurnstonesPod. Um, give us a follow. Um, give us a couple of likes. Ask us about our mugs. Um, still got plenty in stock. Um, they are quality and those that actually have bought some off us um, swear by them and they use them daily, which we're happy to see. But more, most importantly, catch us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts and exclusive episodes. Um, not every episode, but all the big ones are filmed on YouTube as well. So give us a follow on all the platforms and subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you. Catch you later and keep it real.